the things that we often do during the summer is talk about relationships and talk about friendships because people are new and maybe you've left friendships and maybe you've left relationships and kind of starting over in some of those ways. And so we're talking in a series about deeper friendship and what does it look like to have a deeper kind of friendship. We all have different kinds of relationships and all have different kinds of friendships. And you may think about that with your spouse or you may think about it with uh, coworkers or neighbors or people that you've had uh, as friends for a long time. We all have different kinds of relationships and different kinds of friendships. And we're talking about what does it look like to have deeper friendship, uh, people in our lives that really care about us, people in our lives that, that really know us, people in our lives that, that are able to actually help us through life so that you don't experience life as, man, I'm going through life alone. But you actually have people in your life that are helping you and, and the kinds of friendships that actually change you. The kind of friendships where you become a better person because you are in relationship with these kinds of people and they are in relationship with you and they're loving you and encouraging you and challenging you. What does it look like to have deeper friendship where we actually help each other through life, help each other whether that's because we're suffering or help each other because we in our lives help each other grow up in different ways and, and, and in a Christian way that we help each other more fully experience what it looks like to, to live life with Jesus. These are the kind of relationships that we want. These are the kind of relationships that we long for to be able to have a deeper kind of friendship. But if we're honest... A lot of times, our relationships are more at a surface level. A lot of times, if we're honest, the relationships that we have, though we long for the kind of relationships where we say, man, people are there for me, and because of them, I'm growing, and because of them, I know Jesus more, and because of them, I've, I've changed, and I'm a better person, and because of them, that's what we long for. But if we're honest, a lot of times, our relationships are more at a surface place. They're more at a surface level. I was thinking about this, and... Think about somebody that you know. Think about someone you know, a friend of yours. Maybe it's the person sitting next to you. If it is, don't tell them. I'm thinking about you. Uh, unless you're trying to date them, then that would be romantic. So, but, if, but, but think about this. Think about someone you know, and how well do you actually know them? How well do you actually know them? How much do you actually know about their family and their upbringing in that family? How much do you actually know about... Uh, the way that their family and their past shaped them and formed them. How do you, what do you know about right now what they're actually struggling with or what they're actually really excited about and, or what they're looking forward to in the future and what they're really hoping for and desiring or, or the things that, that really cause anxiety in their lives or the things that they keep worrying about throughout the years? or the, the formative experiences in their life that have shaped them and made them who they are, why they got into the line of work that they're in, or why there's certain things that they don't do and are afraid of. I was thinking about this with just some of my family. My mom, if, uh, if you can't tell by my looks, um, which is okay, but my mom is Puerto Rican. She was born in Puerto Rico, full-on, lovely Puerto Rican woman. And, uh, and I realized maybe two years ago or something, I've never talked to my mom about her experience of racism and how that has shaped her. And then asked her some questions. Like, hey, tell me about 
how racism has affected you. And she told me a story about, uh, she grew up, you know, I think she was born in the 60s, so grew up in you know, the 60s, 70s, and t- told me a story about during a lot of the civil rights stuff, seeing on TV people with signs saying, no blacks, no Puerto Ricans, no, and all this stuff. And how that as a little girl really started to form. And I'd never known about this, right? This is my mom. So someone I think I know well, and then, man, I, I'd like to actually learn a bit about this. We're thinking about my uncle, who was an undercover cop in L.A. in the 70s and 80s. And he had a lot of stories to share, a lot of things that could be made into movies. And I'm sure he's probably, you know, he's basically Bruce Willis. And to ask him (laughs) questions, you know, Uh, he's the Mexican Bruce Willis, you know, so. And ask him questions of, tell me, tell me about what that was like. And what, I mean, and I just started to realize, man, there's people close to me that I think I know and that I've lived life with and that I've been around for a long time, but even some of the closest relationships can stay at a surface level. And if we're honest, if we think about our friendships, we may know a lot of facts about their lives. We may know where they live and we may know what kind of restaurants they like and we might know uh, some of the different things about maybe even how many siblings they have or how many years they've been in Denver. We may know facts about their lives, but we may actually miss them. We may actually miss who they are and what their hearts are and what's really forming them and and the things that they are going through and struggling with and have gone through and have struggled with. That We have a lot of relationships and we long for deeper relationships and deeper friendships, but if we're honest, a lot of those relationships often, even the ones that we think we're close with, often they're at the surface and we talk about things with them we may talk about the hobbies that we have and the things we did on the weekend and the activities or the diets that we are trying and not trying anymore and and gossip about certain people and and did you see this on youtube and did you see this on the news and we may talk about different things and facts and but a lot of times our conversations stay at a surface level but to be able to get the depth of relationship that we want to be able to get deeper friendship, the kinds of relationships that we really long for, the kinds that are close, where we really know one another and really love one another and, and really are close to get those kind of relationships. We have to know one another. There was an article in the New York Times a, a couple years ago, and uh, this uh, author, who's now a best-selling author and has gone on to write about some of her experiences, uh, she talked about this experiment that she did. And the article uh, was titled, To Fall in Love with Anyone, Do This. And this was based on a scientific study that a doctor had come up with, a psychologist had come up with, of, of if you just ask these 36 questions to another person, if you just ask these 36 questions to another person and sit across from them and make eye contact, if you just do this, he scientifically proved you can fall in love with anybody. And so this author said, I'm going to try that out. And she actually ended up getting married to the person that she did this with. And this is what this article was. And they're not anything crazy. Here's some of the questions. Given the choice of anyone in the world, whom would you want as a dinner guest? Or some other of the questions. For what in your life do you feel most grateful? If you could change anything about the way you were raised, what would it be? Take four minutes and tell your partner your life story in as much detail as possible. And she started to write about this experience, and here's what she said. We, we all have a narrative of ourselves that we offer up to strangers and acquaintances. But Dr. Aaron's questions make it impossible to rely on that narrative. Ours was the kind of accelerated intimacy I remembered from summer camp. Staying up all night with a new friend, exchanging the details of our short lives, 
At 13, away from home for the first time, it felt natural to get to know someone quickly. But rarely does adult life present us with such circumstances. But the point of this, what's, what's interesting about this article is all it took, all it took for love to develop, all it took for marriage to develop, all it took for intimacy to develop was to really know somebody. And if that's true with the deepest of relationships, if that's true with the deepest of love, how much, how, how much true would that be then for just friendship? So, man, if we actually took the time to just get to know people, wouldn't that lead to a depth of intimacy? Wouldn't that lead to something that is closer? Wouldn't that lead to the kind of deeper friendships that we long for, just taking the time to get to know people? This is, this is what we want in our life. Deeper friendships where people know us, where we know them. This is what we want. That's part of, I think, even why social media exists and how we use social media of broadcasting ourselves. And I'm not saying this in a negative way, but just think about you post a picture of yourself or you post something that you did or you post a quiz that says you're an INTJ or you're you know, this or you're a, you, know, you're, you are Princess Jasmine, most like, you know, whatever. You post things that show, hey, look, here's who I am. Because we want people to know us. We want people to see us. I think it's part of why even dating and marriage, I think it's part of why people even enter into those relationships. I know there's other reasons, but I think that's part of why we even want one person that could just know us. It's part of why some of the worst thing that ever happens in a marriage or a dating relationship, one of the worst things that someone ever says is, I don't even know you anymore. Because that means something fundamental has broken down that leads to connection, that leads to death, that leads to intimacy, and it's knowing somebody. We want to be known. We want to be able to have the depth of friendship that comes with that. That's what God desires for us. The kind of deep friendship that we want is the kind of relationships that God longs for us to experience. Paul, in his letter to the church in Philippi, he writes about the kind of community that we long for. He writes about the kind of connection and, and um, empathy and appreciation and comfort and love and affection. He, he writes about the kind of community that we long for. And he tells his church, man, I want you guys to experience this. And, and this is what God desires for us to have, what, what we want also. Here, here's what he says. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, just think about the kind of community that this is. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, and complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. He, he tells us about this kind of community that we want, that we long for, where there's comfort and there's encouragement and there's sympathy and there's affection and where there's, there's uh, a similar spirit that we are participating in and there's joy. I mean, he, he writes about the kind of deeper friendship, deeper community that we want. But he also tells us really what's at the quality of those. He says, have the same mind, have the same love, being in full accord, one mind. This, the language of all of that is there's this unity, right? There's this closeness. This, there's this, we are on the same page. We are united. That's the kind of relationships that we want, the kind of friendships that we want. And Paul says, and the New York Times says, a lot of that comes from this unity, this knowing, this being on the same page, this you, you and me are sharing something together. So we want deeper friendship. We want to know other people. We want them to know us. 
And to have that, we, if, to have the kind of deeper friendship we want, we have to grow in knowing one another. But that's hard. How do you move past the surface relationships? What is it that keeps our relationships in the surface? What is it that keeps them right now? What, why is it that our relationships often stay on the surface? Why do our relationships, we don't want them there. We want deeper friendships. We want what Paul described. We want people to see us and know us. But why do our relationships often stay at the surface? Why is that the case? Why is that so easy to long for and so hard to actually experience? And to understand that, we have to go back to the beginning of what the Bible talks about. See, in the very beginning, God created the world, and he made it good. And he created man, and he created woman, and he put them together, and they experienced what we long for. They experienced that totally known and totally knowing of the other person, and all the depth that comes with that. Here's how the Bible described that in the very beginning after God created. It says, the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And when it's talking about this nakedness, it's not just a physical nakedness, although it is. It's a whole nakedness of you see me, you know me, and we're close and we're connected. That's why it adds the not ashamed piece. It doesn't just say, and they were naked. Isn't that interesting? Period. It's in they were both naked and not ashamed. That somebody else could totally see them and somebody else could totally know them and they were totally vulnerable and totally exposed. And this is kind of what it says as the beauty of what God created. God made the world and it was good and he put man, he put woman together and he said, here you go. And and kind of the, the summary statement of how beautiful it was is this. They were naked and they're not ashamed. This is what we long for, a kind of community where we are totally seen and totally known and there's no shame involved in it. Totally exposed and yet totally accepted and loved and, and no shame involved in it. But then when sin enters in, when sin enters in, when they choose to disobey God, when they say, we, we actually, the, the, the lie that the devil tempts them with is, you don't have to listen to God, you can be like God. You don't have to obey God, you don't have to do what he says, you can actually be your own God. You can choose your own way. And sin enters into the world, and God promised that when sin entered into the world, there would be death. And death is a physical death, and it's a spiritual death, and part of that death is it ends relationships, and it starts to corrode everything. And so one of the immediate effects that happened was the community, the vulnerability, the no shame, the being known and knowing went away. Look what happens. Adam and Eve, they, they take of the fruit, and they eat, and they sin against God, and, and then here's what happens. It says... Then they heard the sound of the Lord. So they sin, and then they hear the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Isn't that interesting? He used to be naked all the time. Him and her, they were naked, and and the summary beautiful statement was they're naked and there's no shame. But as soon as sin enters in, one of the things that it does immediately is create fear. 
and create shame and create a response that says, I need to hide myself. There's something about me now that I don't want anyone to see. I don't want God to see. I don't want the others in relationship with me to see. Maybe I don't even want to see myself. That when sin enters in, instead of it being this beautiful picture of community where, hey, I can be known and people can know me and there's no shame involved in it. Instead of that, immediately what takes place is I need to hide myself. I need to hide myself. So why do our relationships often stay on the surface? This is the same reason. This is, this is nothing new. This is the age-old problem. Think about why your relationships. Think about what's difficult about going deeper in relationships. Think about even as I've been talking and talking about, hey, letting people know you, and there's probably even in some of you some fear of, yeah, but then what about this? So we have this fear of if I'm seen, then wouldn't people reject me? Wouldn't they push me away? Which is the same fear that Adam had. And it's not an unwarranted thing. I mean, there's been times in our past, or maybe very near present, where you have revealed yourself to people. You have let them see you. You have shown. You have exposed. And it wasn't, this is great. There's no shame. But maybe you were rejected. Maybe you were pushed away. Our relationships often stay at the surface because just like Adam and just like Eve, our human parents, for us, we hide. We're afraid of what would be seen if we were exposed. Sometimes we hide from ourselves. We don't want to look what's actually there. Isn't that true? Isn't there times that we know stuff's inside of us? We know there's issues that need to be worked on. We know there's just kind of yuck in us, but we don't even want to see it. We hide from ourselves and we hide from other people. How many times do we think, man, if they knew whatever it is, if they knew my suffering, they would treat me different. If they knew my sin, they wouldn't think well of me anymore. If they knew my doubts, they wouldn't want to be my friend anymore. If they knew my struggle, if they knew my past, if they knew what I had done, if they knew where I came from, if they knew what I actually thought, if they knew, then they'd reject me. They'd push me away. And so we hide. Adam felt it. We feel it. And so our relationships stay on the surface because we are always hiding what's actually happening in our hearts what's actually going on. Usually it's the deepest things that we hide. We're not afraid to reveal that we stubbed our toes or that we don't like our boss. Those things are easy to say. It's the things in our hearts that are actually going on. It's the things that are most deep that we fear if they knew what would happen. Even in the closest relationships. This happens in marriages. It happens in family, but even in, I think about this, even in marriage, even in the closest of relationship where people say we're absolutely committed to one another, there's times so often that one person may be feeling something and they don't share it with the other person. One person may be feeling, man, I, I think we need to work on this, but they don't share it because they're afraid they'd be rejected. One person may be hurt by the other person, and instead of actually saying, hey, my feelings are kind of hurt or I'm kind of disappointed about, instead of doing that, they just get quiet or they just withdraw or they just, 
go into the garage or they just go into, uh, they just watch TV and the other person may say, hey, is something wrong? And no. Even in the closest of relationships, we are afraid to actually share, here's what's going on in my heart. Here's what's happening. Because if we did, we fear we'd be pushed away. We fear we'd be rejected if they knew. So oftentimes what happens is this. We feel safe. People don't know us, and we feel safe, and we are. And we feel protected, and we are. We feel safe. We feel protected. But we also feel unloved. Because you can't be loved if you're not really known. So we feel safe, and we feel protected, but we are on the surface, and we're unloved, and we feel unconnected. Why do our relationships often stay at the surface? So we're afraid of getting rejected, so we hide, so people can never know our hearts. And this isn't what we want. We want deeper friendship. We want a depth of relationship that is filled with all the things that God desires for us. It's filled with the love and the joy and the comfort and, and people really that are in our lives, that really do know us and really do care for us. That's what we want. But it's hard. It's not easy. So how can we grow in letting people get to know us? If we want the deeper friendships that we long for, it begins with knowing one another. But it's hard to let people know us because we're afraid. So how can we grow in that? What can begin to help our hearts begin to be rewired so that we feel more comfortable with saying, hey, here's who I am. Here's, here's what's going on. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's, here's what's hard. Here's, here's who I am. How can we grow in, in letting people know us? Here's what it begins with. Here's where this growth, here's where moving forward begins. It begins with seeing that what's there, the things that we're afraid of people seeing, that what's there doesn't require that we're rejected. See, there is stuff in us. There is struggles and doubts and fears and sins and things we've done and things we've thought. and There is stuff there. But to begin to grow in letting people know us, it begins with this. It begins with saying, hey, what is there, though? It doesn't require that I do have to be rejected. Jesus teaches us this. When Jesus came um, to this world and began his ministry, he kicked it off with an intro sermon. He started off his ministry, and he walked into the temple, and he opened up Isaiah 61, which is Old Testament prophet. And he opened up Isaiah 61, and it said that he read from Isaiah 61 and began his ministry reading, here's what I've come to do. And here's what Isaiah 61 says. It says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. So Jesus stands up and he reads this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So here's what Jesus kicks off his ministry doing. He says, here's who I'm for. I'm for the people that are poor and brokenhearted and captive and bound. 
And you can think about that in a physical sense and a spiritual sense, because as we look at Jesus' ministry after he announces what he's here to do, that's what he begins to do. It's to find those people who have been bound spiritually. And Jesus says, I see that, and I'm for you. To find the people that have been held captive to sin their whole lives. And he says, I see that, and I'm for you. See, oftentimes we think, if somebody saw the weakness, the sin, if someone saw my poverty, in whatever that way that is, you can think of it in a, in a physical sense, or man, I, I feel poor, and I feel low, and I, I, I'm, I'm a person that is just, it's hard for me to handle life, and if you, if you feel like you're somebody that's brokenhearted, and you've gone through suffering, and, and you feel like you're somebody that's captive, and has all these things that you just cannot stop and can't get out of. If you feel someone that is bound and you're in a prison of whatever that is, expectations or literally or family dynamics, and you go, man, I'm in a prison. Jesus says, I see that. I know that. And I'm for you. It's because what we're afraid of is if somebody saw my poverty, if somebody saw my brokenheartedness, if someone saw my captivity, if somebody saw my, my bondage, if somebody saw that, they would reject me. Because if these things are true about me, if they're true about me, I should be rejected. But what is beautiful about this is Jesus shows up on the scene. He says, you want to know what my ministry is about? You want to know what I'm here for? I'm not here to show up and say, wait, I have an announcement. You're not bound. That's not really true. You're not captive. That's not really true. You're awesome. That's not what Jesus, Jesus doesn't come preaching a message of self-esteem. Jesus doesn't show up and say, these aren't true about you. So don't worry about it. Just move on. Jesus shows up and says, that is true about you. And I know it. And you think, if they knew, I'd be rejected. And Jesus says, I do know, and you're not rejected. I've come for you. For the one that is poor, for the one that is brokenhearted, for the one that is captive, for the one that is bound, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to you. You see, if we want to grow in beginning to let other people know us, it begins with seeing the things that we see in us, we think, man, if those are there, maybe I should be rejected. And Jesus says, if that's there, you're a person I've come for. You're a person that I'm here for. A lack of sin or weakness, a lack of sin or weakness or need is not what qualifies you. In fact, it's the opposite, which means we don't have to hide. But it's not just that. It's not just that Jesus sees those things. It's not just that he knows those things and, and doesn't reject. The last part of Isaiah 61, the last part of the chapter, what it all kind of culminates in is this. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and the bride adorns herself with their jewels. You see, what, what the great promise is, is that what happened in Eden is undone. What happened in Eden is undone. What happened with, I am now naked and I'm ashamed. 
I'm now naked and so I hide. What Isaiah says is, look, when God comes, when Jesus comes and he brings good news and he tells people, I see you, I see what's there, I really do know what's there and you don't have to hide. It's not just that he sees it, he does something about it. See, it says that he clothes with salvation. He covers for those that are naked and exposed and feel the shame because of that. Jesus says, I see you and I cover you. I see you and I clothe you. Which means this, there's a total acceptance. There's a total forgiveness. For the things that we've done, we don't have to deny them. We can say, Jesus has actually covered me. My nakedness and my shame and my fear, it doesn't have to define me anymore. Jesus covers me. He clothes me with his salvation. See, Jesus doesn't just want to, for us to know, hey, you've been saved. He wants it to be a feeling, an experience of, I've been clothed and covered in this. So that his righteousness is now what defines me. So that his love and his grace and his forgiveness is now what defines me. And I love the images that he uses of a, of a bridegroom or a groom, what we just call them, a, a groom that decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. He says, the clothes that God gives to us is like this wedding. You ever been to a wedding? I'm sure most of you have. And the bride and the groom, are, they, they're beautiful, right? It's the most beautiful they'll ever look. After that, they get ugly. But in that moment, they are beautiful. That's why people take a, that's why they spend thousands of dollars to take pictures of themselves, you know. But after that, they're ugly. And it's okay. I know some of you just got married and some of you have a wedding coming up. And, and this is true. But so, and, and there's a, and <laughs> no one spends thousands of dollars on Tuesday to take pictures of themselves, you know. It's like, I look good. Well, you might, but not that good. But the images he uses is think of the best day, the best you've ever looked. Think of the day when thousands of dollars on hair and makeup and clothes was spent. Think of that day. And he says, something like that is what it's like being clothed in the salvation that Jesus gives to you. And you experience fear and you experience nakedness and, and, and you want to hide because what if someone would reject me? And Jesus says, I see you. I know what's there. And I'm for the people that are struggling with what you're struggling with. But it's not just that. I also clothe you. And my salvation makes it so that when I look at you, I see this. That when I look at you, and, and the gospel tells us that because of what Jesus has done on the cross, forgiving us of our sins, so therefore removing all the ugliness and giving us his righteousness, therefore giving us these clothes, that when God looks at us, he sees us like that. You see, this is the good news that if we begin to get into our hearts, we start to grow in letting people know us because we operate from a place of acceptance. We operate from a place of just because this is here, it doesn't define me. I'm not defined by my strength and my lack of need and my righteousness. I'm defined by I am a needy person that Jesus has covered and clothed and saved. That changes so that we are now have a greater confidence to be able to tell other people, I'm struggling with this, and I'm sinning in this way, and I need help in this way, and hey, I'm hurt in this way, and because we know that I'm, that's not what's defining me, and I've been radically accepted by someone much more important than anyone else around me, which gives us the freedom to begin to share, here's who I am, here's what's in my heart, here's what's really going on. If you're not a Christian, this is 
part of what Jesus offers to us is to say, I'm here for you, and I will forgive you, and cleanse you, save you. And for those of us that are Christians, this is what we continually need to go back to over and over and over again to be able to let people see us and know us. Let me give you a small example of what this would change. One of, the, one of the ways that this begins to change just how we do friendships, a lot of times in Christian relationships, one of the things that we do is we ask for prayer from one another. Say, so, hey, would you pray for me about this? Would you pray for me about this? But a lot of times, even that stays at a surface level. Would you pray for my job? I've, you know, I'd like to get this new job. Hey, would you pray for um, my procedure that I have coming up? And sometimes it's not even about us. It's would you pray for my dear Aunt Sally, his cousin, his dog, it's ill. And, and, and we, even in a, in a moment of kind of supposed vulnerability of saying, would you pray for me about this, we make it about other people or we stay on a, a task kind of prayer. Could you pray about this thing? But what this begins to change is we're actually willing to say, could you pray about my heart? I'm applying for this job. Not just would you pray that I get it, but man, I'm really anxious. Could you pray for me about that? I'm going in for this surgery. Could you pray? I'm afraid. Hey, I've got family coming into town. Not just, hey, could you pray for that, that the visit goes well? But hey, I hate my family. Pray for my heart to be forgiving and, and to serve them well. And to not argue about politics. Or to argue and win about politics. Because you know? <laughs> that would be a miracle you know, that you would need prayer for. <laughs> But you begin to pray about things that are actually in the heart and begin to share, here's what's in my heart that I need. Here's what's going on in my heart. That's just a simple way. I mean, there's so many ways, but to begin to grow and letting people know us, we operate from a standpoint of the weakness, the sin, the struggle, the hurt, the doubt. That's what Jesus comes for. That's who he loves. That's who he pursues. And that's who he clothes. And so we operate from this place of acceptance. Therefore, it helps us to let other people know us, which leads to those deeper friendships that we long for. That's where it begins. If we don't get this right, we can't get this next step right, which is how can we grow in working to know others? See, if we want deeper friendships, it's, we have to know each other. And a big part of that is we have to let other people know us. But the second part of that is we have to grow in working to know others because we have service relationships and some of that's on us. Some of that's, man, we, we, we play it close to the chest and we don't want people to see what's going on. Some of that's on us, but some of it is on the other people around us that, that they're not actually trying to get to know us. And some of that is because we want to keep stuff service because if we, if we get to know others really well, then they're going to try to get to know us really well and we don't want that. So first we have to grow in letting people know us, but we also have to grow in working to know others. So what can help us with that? How do we grow in working to know others? How can we take an interest in people beyond just the weekend, beyond just sports, beyond just their job? How can we grow in working to know others beyond the surface? What would change our posture to want to know others, to work at getting to know them, Here's where we start. Okay, we start in this place of you and I of wanting to be known, wanting people to know us. Scared, yes, but wanting people to know us. 
That's where we start. And something has to be done about that need in order for us to grow in working to know others. So there's an author. His name is Ian Reid. He's a best-selling author, not a Christian. Uh, but he speaks some very profound truth about the condition we find ourselves in of wanting people to know us. And if we understand how that condition can get met, then we can understand how to grow in working to know others. So here's what he says. He sa- and he looks really cool. Here's what he says. Um, he says, I think what I want is for someone to know me, really know me, know me better than anyone else, and maybe even me, know me better than myself. Isn't that why we commit to another? It's not for sex. If it were for sex, we would marry one person. We just, we just keep finding, we wouldn't marry one person. We just keep finding new partners. I want someone to know me, really know me, almost like that person could get into my head to rely on someone else, have him rely on you. That's not a biological connection like the one between parents and children. This kind of relationship would be chosen. It would be something cooler, harder to achieve than one built on biology and shared genetics. I think that's it. Maybe that's how we know when a relationship is real. When someone else, previously unconnected to us, knows us in a way we never thought or believed possible. So we start in this place that he's describing. We start in a place of going, man, I would love it if someone could know me in a way where they get inside my head. I would love it if someone could know me in a way that they, it's not just this biological, they have to know me, right? You have to know your brother and sister. You have to know your parents, at least for a while. You have to know them. He says, it's not that. It's not built on a biological connection. I want someone to know me in a way that they actually chose me. I want someone to know me in a way that they're actually inside of me and getting inside of my head. I want someone to know me in such a way that they know me better than myself. I want someone to know me in that kind of way. And when we get to Jesus, Paul says, what if that was met? What if that actually happened? What if that wasn't a pipe dream? What if that wasn't just, man, wouldn't that be awesome to have that? And I'm an author, so I can make cool statements like that. What if that actually happened? What if somebody did do that? What if somebody actually previously unconnected to us knows us in a way we never thought or believed possible? You know what the Bible says? It says that's exactly what Jesus did. Paul, in the same letter we were looking at, He's writing to the church about creating the kind of community that has a depth of friendship. And he says this, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Then he says this, have this mind, what he just described, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, what this says about Jesus, what this says about Jesus is he did exactly what that author longed for. What what this says about Jesus is he was God himself, but he entered into our world. See, the incarnation, which is a theological term that means taking on a flesh, that Jesus said, I want to get inside your head. I want to know what humans have gone through and experienced. And so God came into the world and took on the form of a servant, and he was born in the likeness of men and said, I want to get in there. 
And he chose it. He didn't say, man, we're connected already. So that's, He said, no, I'm, this is not a biological connection. I'm choosing to get to know you. I'm choosing to enter into your world. I'm choosing to take the form of a servant so that I can really take an interest in you, so that I can really know you and know what's happening in your world. Someone previously, as the author says, someone previously unconnected from us, someone previously disconnected from us, wouldn't it be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if somebody like that would come in It would be so hard to believe. It would be so hard to accept. But wouldn't it be amazing if someone unconnected from us would choose to say, I want to know you. And what Paul says is that's exactly what Jesus did. He didn't count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a servant. He was born in the likeness of men in human form, and he humbled himself. And he lived that out, not briefly. He didn't just go, ooh, this is kind of weird. He lived that out becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He so wanted to enter into our world, so wanted to know us, so wanted to identify with us, so wanted to get inside of our head and choose us and connect with us that he would go to the cross. See, what if that was met? How can we grow in working to know others? What if that need was met? What if we could say, someone does know me like that? I have been known like that. I have been served like that. Someone did take an interest in me like that. Paul says, if that happens, and if you have that mind, if that happens, then you take an interest in other people, and you count other people more significant. See, the logic that Paul uses is if you experience this, if you know this, if you know you do have someone that served you, You do have someone that took an interest in you. You do have someone that chose you. You do have someone that was disconnected and said, I want to know you. If you experience that, then what happens is you want to take an interest in other people. And you count them significant. And you want to serve them. And you want to get to know them. That's the logic that Paul uses to help us build the kind of community of deeper friendship that we long for. He says, let this become real to your heart. Let this become real to your mind. And here's what that does practically. Here's what that means. It means we start to ask each other better questions. It means instead of just asking about sports in the weekend, which isn't bad, don't just walk around saying, so what's your struggle today? I mean, that's weird. I remember when I was in college, there was a stupid movement I don't even want to know I'm calling it a movement, but different professors that were like, you know, you have people walking as you're on the way to class and people say, how are you? And what do we respond? Fine. And then you keep going. That's awful. I'm like, well, I need to get to class. Like, I'm not just going to say, I'm not fine. I'm dying. You know, talk to me right now. It's so stupid. Okay, So I'm not saying you can't have chit chat and talk about silly things and this and that. That's all great. But part of Part of taking an interest in one another, part of counting other people significant, part of serving one another is to begin to say, what's that person's heart? Who are they? What are their values? What are their beliefs? What are their hurts? What are their struggles? What is happening? I want to know not just the facts about your life, but about you. See, part of how we grow to be better friends and to have a deeper friendship is knowing And we got to share who we are. But we also have to work in growing to know one another. So something we can all do is grow in just asking questions. 
grow in saying, I'd like to take one step deeper to this person's heart. I'd like to really get to know them. I'd like to see what's there. And when they share about something happening, say, man, even if somebody says, hey, I'd like to, uh, could you pray for me about this? Say, I'd love to pray for you about that. What's happening in your heart about this that I can pray for? Or when somebody shares about their job and you just start talking to them. And a lot of times I'll talk to people that just move here and they say, yeah, you know, I moved here and this is the first time I've ever lived somewhere outside of home. And go, well, tell me what that's like. And what's it like being away from home? And what's it like being away from family? And what's it, instead of just, oh yeah, that's cool. We got to ask questions to really get to know people's hearts. What Jesus did is say, I take an interest. I count significant. I want to get into your world. And if if we let that affect our hearts, if we say somebody's loved me like that, it begins to change how we love each other. Another practical way that this happens and plays itself out and something I would encourage all of those of you that are not in yet, the way that we do this as a church mainly is community group. It's hard to do that on a Sunday. It's hard to do that on the way to class. But the way that we do this in large part as a church, and this can happen over you know, dinner and it can happen in casual relationships, but the way that we try to build this into the life of our church is in community groups. Now, there's an experience of this church on Sunday. There's an experience that you can get of somebody preaching and somebody singing and us taking communion and talking to people for a little bit. There's an experience of this church on Sunday. But to really have the depth of relationship and friendship where you are known and people know you, that takes place in our community groups where people really are able to get to know you and you're really able to work in getting to know them. Deeper listening will lead to deeper knowing and lead to deeper friendship. And finally, close with this. What happens when we grow in this way? What happens when we begin to grow in letting other people know us and us getting to know other people. What happens? It's the depth of friendship that we want. See, don't you know that this is true, that the more that you get to know somebody, oftentimes you begin to actually feel more compassion for them? Have you ever kind of not really liked somebody, and then you got to know them, and you got to know more of why they are, how they are, and how they developed, and, and you actually start to develop more compassion for them? This is why a lot of times workplaces will do like a Myers-Briggs test or something like that collectively as a team because the more that we begin to understand one another, the more that we begin to know one another, the more that we begin to go, man, actually, okay, I, I get you now, and so I've got a compassion for you. See, if we begin to grow like this, if we begin to grow in sharing who we are and, and, and working to know one another, then what happens is we grow in compassion for one another. We grow in grace for one another. We grow in knowing how to serve one another. Some of your closest friends, they know your favorite ice cream and they bring it to you when you're sick. And you're like, no, they don't. I'm sorry. But, but they, the people that know about you, they know how to serve you. See, if we grow in sharing who we are and letting other people see us, it creates a kind of community where there's more compassion and there's more grace and we actually know how to more wisely serve one another. And we know how to help one another. We begin to even just like each other more. We begin to have more forgiveness, and it creates a community where we're actually then able to help each other grow because we see, I know what you're struggling with, and I know how to help you. Or I'm struggling with the same thing. Let's go to Jesus together. And it becomes a community then where we're changed 
by knowing one another and them knowing us. This is what God wants for us. This is what we desire, and it's what God desires for us. I think he's an awesome God that he would say, I want more for you than service. I want you to have the one mind and the one love, and the, it's kind of like Bob Marley, and one mind and one love and, and one accord. This is what God desires for us. And when we take communion, we remember. We remember the foundation of what makes us a community. When we take communion, what we remember is the foundation that allows us to have this friendship. That there is a God that would take on flesh and blood to enter into our world and know us and save us. That there is a God that would enter into our world and see our weakness and see our sin and see our shame and see our guilt and see our poverty, and see our captivity, and see our brokenheartedness, and would enter in and say, I don't, I don't reject you because of that. I actually come near you because of that, and I clothe you in my salvation. When we take communion, we remember that. We say, that's the kind of community that we are. One built on that fact. One built on Jesus did something to bond us together. Jesus did something that made it so we can be known and know each other. So would you pray with me, and we will sing some songs and pray in response. Father, I thank you for this good news. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the fulfillment of that longing to be known that we all have. You do know us better than we even know ourselves, and you have entered into our world, and you've done that. And you didn't do that because we were biologically connected to you. We, we are sinful people. We are those that are broken and in captivity and sinful and weak and needy. And you came near to us. Because of what you did on the cross, we are forgiven and we are saved. And we are cleansed. And we are accepted. And we have a family. So I thank you for this, God. And I pray, help our church. Lord, help us to continue to grow into this. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.